Welcome to FEPS Talks, the podcast series at the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on feps-europe.eu. September 28 marks the International Safe Abortion Day and therefore represents an opportune moment to contribute to the global awareness raising campaign for this very special podcast. FEPS, together with PES Women, the women's organization of the Party of European Socialists, promoting gender equality and women's rights both inside and outside the party, deemed it timely to discuss this important, yet always very controversial issue, that is access to safe abortion. Therefore, we are delighted to welcome a staunch and longtime women's rights activist who has been at the front lines of numerous feminist struggles, and that is Rhonda Donaghy. She is a PSC Women Executive Member representing the Irish Labour Party and Labour Women, uh, as well as a trade union official. So thank you very much for joining us, Rhonda. Hi, good morning, and thanks for, for having me here. An honour and a privilege to, to speak on such an important date for, for women. And just from the outset, if I may say, it's a pity that women's health is always regarded as so controversial, because women's health is just that, women's health. And we should always kind of bear that in mind when we're talking about women, so we're not talking about them in an isolated other health. Is any different to any other part of their well-being. So the International Safe Abortion Day uh, has its origin, as you may already know, uh, in Latin America, where women's groups have been mobilizing around September 28, the last two decades, in order to demand the governments to decriminalize abortion, to provide access to safe and affordable abortion services, and to end the the stigma uh, and discrimination towards women who made this choice. The date, September 28, was chosen in commemoration of the abolition of slavery in Brazil, uh, which is now remembered as the day of the free uterus, demanding for safe and legal abortion for all women. In 2011, then, the the 28th of uh, of September was taken to the global level in solidarity with the women's movement in Latin America and in recognition of the fact that access to safe and legal abortion continues being denied for too many women and in too many countries. Abortion has been a controversial subject in many countries, although, as you rightly point out, it shouldn't be. But throughout history, this has been the case uh, because of moral, ethical, practical and political power issues surrounding it. Uh, It has been banned frequently and otherwise limited by law. However, since the 70s, and thanks to the fight of the feminist second waivers, um, we have seen the first developed countries legalizing abortion. Nowadays, with the infamous exception of Malta and Poland, abortion rights are available in most European countries under various legal and practical conditions. Nevertheless, a closer look at European countries does not seem to confirm these rights are granted forever. And at the same time, at the EU level, the Commission uh, is legally announced. So several European countries, and increasingly the United States, with the examples uh, that we've seen recently in the state of Texas or Mississippi, fears attacks uh, by the opposition groups that wish to curtail women's reproductive freedom by imposing legal and financial restrictions, projecting greater stigma and discrimination and further obstructing access to abortion care. All these factors constitute severe obstacles for women to fully exercise their human rights and severely put their health at risk as well. Where contraception is available and affordable, abortion should rarely be necessary. And where it is necessary, however, it should be accessible and safe. Abortion rates in the European regions have declined uh, from 231 to 234 abortions 
per thousand live births. However, up to 20% of all deaths during pregnancy are due to unsafe abortion, according to the World Health Organization. The countries of Central and Eastern Europe are estimated to have the highest abortion rates in the world. Even if the picture is far from satisfactory on a global and EU scale, when it comes to access to abortion care, we've also seen some success stories, uh, like recently in the case of Argentina and Mexico, finally legalizing abortion after many years of women's rights struggles. Iceland once again championing women's rights by permitting abortion on request up to 22 weeks, uh, which is twice as much as most EU countries, and making it one of the most uh, progressive abortion laws in the European continent. But also Ireland, uh, which is the, the last EU country to have finally legalized it uh, in 2018. So Rhonda, following the, the, the victorious case uh, of the Repeal DA campaign in your country, can we now say that fa uh, safe abortion is fully guaranteed to the Irish women nowadays. On, uh, to the main, yeah, to the main it is. I mean, if I may, uh, to give a little bit of a historical context with the repeal of the Eighth. Um, the Eighth Amendment to the Constitution was inserted into the Constitution in 1983. Uh, I would have been a very young woman in 1983, and I grew up in a shadow of the Eighth Amendment, a shadow which was oppressive, which didn't trust women, which was really, really hard and cruel for women. Also in a background where until the early 90s, contraception wasn't, condoms were not really or widely available in Ireland. Um, we also had that kind of exasperated uh, situation uh, as well. The, I would have got involved or cut my teeth in activism um, from a case in 92, and it was known as possibly one of the first times the alphabet was used regards to women. It was the ex case with a young 14-year-old whose uh, parents um, brought her over to the UK to get a procedure, a uh, termination procedure done. She had been raped by a family friend um, and they wanted to know at the time there was something new called DNA. If they kept DNA, would they be able to go ahead and prosecute the rapist afterwards? And that young woman was recalled back to the country by the Irish state. The political row that ensued over that young woman's health and, young, and that young woman's body then was what led me in my first steps of activism um, to reveal, to repeal this uh, barbaric piece of, of legislation. Um, as you know, there's time limits. As every woman knows, there's time limits around um, procuring uh, an abortion. Um, things had to be done quite time sensitively, and the Supreme Court found in, in the young woman's favour at the time. Um, we still in this country refer to this woman as ex. As I said, she was 14 year old, a young girl uh, at the time, and her parents protected her like lionesses with their cubs. They never allowed the media near her. I always had the height of respect for them because that woman was allowed to continue the rest of her life with dignity. Where some part of her life may have been taken away from her, but the rest of her life was there. Uh, her parents ensured she lived with, with absolute dignity then. Uh, so that would have marked my launch into how awful this piece of legislation was for people, of for my sisters, for my peers, for my friends, for my, my colleagues. Um, and I would have got quite involved then through various NGO groups um, working out solutions to very, very Irish problems, which sometimes were operating, you know, telephone helplines. At the time, we couldn't get telephone numbers, couldn't be given out. So to to even to to give out condoms was quite 
quite a big thing then at that, that stage as well. So we would have we would have worked a number of things with that. Um, there was the first referendum that I voted in in '92 was direct result of the X case, um, and that was successful. But any of the subsequent um, referendums were until repealed. The actual repeal, the Eighth Amendment, tinkered around pieces of legislation that we always knew they'd be back there. We always knew we'd be back there. Every win was small. When people weren't looking, we tried to, to rob a yard, you know, when they weren't looking. If they were looking, we only went a few little steps ahead. Um, but it, I mean, it was a little bit soul-destroying, but quite good every time we got the small victories. We fought very hard for small victories um, to try and improve the lot of women. But bear in mind that women still had to travel to the UK, still had to travel outside of their own country to an excess of abortion, which is a vital piece of healthcare for women's full health. Um, then thankfully things moved on, times changed. I still remained involved in at a grassroots level and certainly at a political level with regard to making trying to make a difference. And then I suppose a big change at the time was a, a, a young migrant woman, um, Savita Halapanavar, um, was denied a termination in a hospital in Ireland. Um, Savita had contracted sepsis in the hospital um, and knew herself uh, part of her getting well meant because she had, you know, medical training and um, the dentist background but a termination needed to happen um, and she was denied that termination and Savita um, ultimately died and Fetus uh, also died and there was an outcry of anger of futility and I don't think people could realise that here we were again after so, so many people had gone before but it wasn't a case of those who were anti-choice cared about you know life because women did die never ever forget that women died under the eighth amendment women died in extreme horrific and brutal and very 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 unnecessary um, deaths the government of the day uh, in response to the set up a commission and com the commission went to the general public and took all sides all points of views and the recommendation that they came up with was a very sensible recommendation that, yeah, we put the repeal the 8th to a referendum. Uh, the real work only to start it that day. And all a lot of groups in civil society, all, all left-leaning political groups in civil, civil society worked together. We worked our, our hearts off to make sure that we saw change, that we got this change. And I would have been involved in a group together for YES. Um, one of the groups I would have been quite involved with that were part of that group together for YES with the abortion rights campaign. And of course, my, my work was in the Labour uh, Women in the Irish Labour Party. So that was all, you know, my connection there. And I took, personally, I took um, a month's uh, leave from work and I was lucky I was able to do that um, to work as an activist uh, on the campaign because um, I knew it would be our last chance we couldn't we couldn't sacrifice this and um, the change was there throughout the campaign we were so close to it we didn't see it we didn't see the swell of support we had we should have hindsight is great hindsight is like 2020 vision um, we won out on the day. It was a hard fought campaign. 
it was a it was a campaign that that everybody who was progressive had a really good voice in it was led by activists for activists in conjunction with the the left political group groups the labor party and certainly a part of the day um, and, and others from the left uh, as well. It was an amazing campaign to be involved in, and it didn't. Things didn't change overnight, and it's fitting that we're in September now because it was September. We, you know, we woke up and we read the news that the president had signed the eighth out of the constitution. So September has always one of those like, wow, what do we do? We repeal the eighth. When you started saying that, you know, then what do we want? What did we do? What did we did it together? We repealed the eighth. Um, yeah, so September is always a very, it's, it's always a really nice moment. And it's lovely that it has such a huge historical uh, background and context for a lot of women around the world, as well as just us here in Ireland who worked really hard to, to do that or to get to where we are today. And then just before the new year, uh, government website, www.government.ie, we could go like three months later, go onto the website and look at the details. And actually, yeah, from the 1st of July, it became, or from the 1st of January, it became possible. Of 2019, it became possible with some restrictions. Um, we'll always be revisiting and we'll revisit again later on this year. And um, we said that we'd give ourselves wiggle room or a sitting in period. And we might have been unhappy with these when they were put in initially. And they were kind of exclusion zones, um, three-day waiting period, and we're not always happy that abortions uh, are happening locally, that terminations that we need are happening in the local area. We've always advocated for free, safe, and legal abortion. Women should be able to go to to go to somewhere close to them without, you know, the invasion of somebody protesting outside where they're going to whichever clinic or whichever hospital they're going to. That their their choices aren't been undermined by by people who don't believe in choice, that don't believe in women's right to choose that don't have compassion uh, for women who find themselves sometimes in a situation through no fault of their own. Well, thank you for this. I think this is very important and useful for us also to understand what was the background uh, of all this uh, hard work eventually leading up uh, to this uh, big uh, success for progressive but also women's rights uh, activists. Uh, and you also mentioned uh, how important the stakes are for women's health, whilst also referring uh, to your political activism. Uh, and also now going back to the present, uh, the past months have seen both successes, but also major setbacks uh, in the rights uh, to, uh, to safe abortion. All of this in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, and the pandemic, again, puts the need for access to safe abortion into very sharp relief. Uh, it increases the risk of unsafe abortion and reinforces the need uh, for safe abortion to be available as an essential healthcare. Maternal debt have in fact risen substantially in some places um, alongside uh, a, a spike in, uh, in cases of uh, violence against women. So with the poorest and more marginalized women and girls worse affected, can you tell us a bit more about how the pandemic has restricted access to safe abortion? Well, lockdowns after lockdowns, as a set of lockdown in different countries for health uh, measures, um, we saw happen uh, from uh, early last year. And thankfully, most countries have a sense sensibility that women's health also had to be looked after as well as the health of the general population so there was quite a lot of 
uh, consultations online were done, which was which was good, uh, which was really really good. Um, and suddenly the pills became online, um, and the consultations on how to medicate with pills were, were online then as well. And people were talked through certain things where it would have been impossible to go to a hospital under normal circumstances, and that was really really important. I mean, in COVID then, bearing in mind that in some countries where it's still not possible to have a termination, um, I have access to these pills became vital. And I, I actually think we were incredibly lucky here in Ireland that the repeal happened in 2018 um, and the laws changed in 2019 because it would have been an absolute nightmare been unable to travel, been unable to access. And it, it, it has happened before in the past. Um, my last memory of, I think it was six or seven years ago, there was a, an earthquake explosion in Iceland and most of, of the north of Europe um, couldn't travel. So we, we had, Irish women had experience of, of this happening, but not on such a big scale as the, the pandemic of the last 18 months. But, you know, it was always there in the mind, but thankfully we didn't have to do that. So we can see that society has trusted women in a pandemic to be able to get deal with the consultations online, to be able to deal with uh, pills sent by post. So keep on trusting women and just not stopping it now. If this is the only channel that some people have, so so be it, let it be. Um, at the end of the day, it will save women. And, and that, it's, it's a huge part of women's healthcare. I mean, video consultations, nobody would have thought in the wildest dreams that they would have happened in this country three years ago. Nobody would thought in the wilds for termination beams and it happened and it was successful and it was successful women weren't in, in fear or absolute dread or um, my mind can't my mind can't even go there if this wasn't the case it, it would be beyond comprehensible it would so we have to keep up this this uh facilitation indeed and uh, the, the pandemic is also is very much highlighting how abortion is is something that is extremely time dependent right uh incredibly time dependent yeah incredibly time dependent and as you said earlier on varying from country to country it's it's incredible i mean we we constantly see some countries in europe uh trying to tinker around the time frames and stop trying to do that trust women sometimes through absolutely no fault of their own in the case of uh, fatal fetal abnormality women have to access late abortions or the thoughts of what they have to put themselves and the bodies through is is horrific it's absolutely it's a health issue like we're talking about a health issue I mean, unrealistic timeframes don't help women's health and mental well-being. We see we see really huge differences also across countries, right? Uh, with uh, with time limits ranging from 10 weeks in countries like Portugal and Slovenia up to 12 weeks in most countries, but also 16, 18 or 22 weeks in Austria, Sweden and the Netherlands, respectively. There are huge differences. And at the same time, even if far from sufficient, abortion law offers a minimum standards to enforce and safeguard women's health and right to choose, right? Uh, Yet, uh, what we see is also the opposite with a reversal of those hard-run rights uh, and very much aware of this reversibility. uh, We know that the anti-choice, the right-wing and conservative actors uh, are showing increasing hostility to women 
women's rights. Progressive sexuality and education and anything related to gender are being increasingly condemned uh, without rhyme or reason. Uh, and the abortion laws are necessary, necessary but remain incomplete and insufficient. And it was impossible to implement due to very restrictive uh, conditions. The best case being uh, the, the consciousness uh, objectors, uh, as uh, we see, for instance, in countries like Italy, where up to 70% of gynecologists refuse to do it on the basis of this reason. So in the context of the numerous barriers still standing, many women's rights movements have denounced the over-medicalization of women's bodies, but also deeming it as inherently uh, as a political matter. Would you agree with that? Yeah, uh, there's, there's, I mean, the, the, I mean, to me, con anybody working in the medical profession should not have the conscientious objection clause. It really, really shouldn't be there. I mean, there's a number of there's a number of things that are so wrong with that. And um, I have to go for a very, very straightforward uh, surgical operation later on this year. And um, somebody could choose not to operate me because I was woman, just because I was woman, because he was conscientious. Because I, I mean, nothing of it makes sense. I mean, for for religious reasons. I mean, we constantly see some in society pick on one piece of one religion and zoom in on how bad it is where it can be very bad and it can be very aggressive but what is a conscientious objection about looking after a, a full part of women's house i mean it's yeah it's it's something that we should always have to revisit and then when we're looking at best practice we have to look at best practice in europe best practice in europe is the country with the very very best and where there should be absolute collaboration in Europe is always in protecting its health. I mean, women are citizens. We are equal value. We are 50% of Europe. We are at the table. We are voters. We want our health needs addressed in the most comprehensive way possible. So we should be looking, and Europe has to look for best practice and not allow countries any derogation from this, you know, not allow them shoddily transpose robust legislation to protect women into law. If we saw it happening in any country outside Europe, we would be unrightly so appalled where women are treated as a lesser citizen in countries outside Europe. So come on, we can't have our jam on both sides for bread. We have to say, okay, you know, whether we like it or not, you know, this is the right thing. It's the right thing. We treat all of our citizens equally, regardless of whether you're a man or regardless of whether you're a woman. So, I mean, other ways for international collaboration would be always for, for countries until we reach that utopia where countries have to accept the robust, robust legislation and penalise heavily countries who don't accept legislation. I mean, a huge amount of companies, and I include Ireland in this, we're quite bad at transposing some laws into legislation. And we quite gleefully have our hands out for other pieces for something else. So you can't decide what part of European citizenship you want or what part of European citizenship is good for the people who you claim to represent because it's beholden on you as a politician to look after all the people that you're supposed to be looking after. It's beholden on you. It's beholden on you. And if people die as a result of your own views that may be anti-woman or may be misogynist or may be really not in line with the 21st century, 
you should be held accountable for that. You really should be held accountable for that. But until we get to, as I said, until we get to that utopia, I mean, for our sisters in countries where abortion is still highly restricted, there should be facilitated pathways from neighbouring countries, particularly in the likes of Poland. I certainly know with our sisters in Malta, it's harder because it's an island country. And that's where I would go back to what I said earlier on, that there's online consultation or the proper consultation process and knowing what pills you're getting in line with the safe pills. Perhaps also in this regard, the, the European Parliament's uh, resolution adopted last June uh, and authored by the progressive member of the, peer, uh, the Parliament, Fred Matisch, is an excellent example of, of how we as progressives are taking up the fight against the backlash uh, against sexual and health and reproductive rights, uh, but also how much work is still needed to, to overcome uh, progressive uh, prejudice. Uh, so perhaps to, to conclude on a, on a positive note and building on the Irish uh, successful case, I'd like to ask you also about what are the keys that lead uh, to a positive out- outcome um, and uh, having yourself actively contributed to this victory for women's rights, what are the main lessons for progressive actors to draw to finally uh, free abortion rights from any stigma? Oh, God. I mean, that's a, such a long question. I, I'll answer it as best as I can. And it's a great question. And thank you for that. I mean, the, the, the support that we as Irish women received over the years, not just from our sisters in Europe, um, but certainly from uh, the UK um, in so much as traveling to the UK and providing yourself in a situation um, where you're and quite a lot of times often isolated. Um, women in the UK looked after Irish women incredibly well in from everything from giving a safe home, meeting people at airports, traveling with people to, to clinics, uh, if they knew there was no exclusion zone outside the clinic, so people wouldn't be terrified or frightened on their own, facing a very daunting part of healthcare, and um, feeling stigmatized where they shouldn't have to stigmatize. So, you know, that, that kind of sisterhood was always there, which was great. And some of the, the bigger clinics then providing um, enhanced healthcare. Uh, to to Irish women at no uh, charge and no extra cost, uh, which is which was always great. And it's a pity it had to be necessary in Europe. Uh, as an Irish woman, I would always fly the flag for my sisters in countries that I see their rights and their civil rights under attack. Like when human rights are under attack, we stand up, we fight back. When women's rights are under attack, we stand up, we fight back may sound like a cliche but trust me it so works when we saw here in the, the referendum uh, people from my own sister parties in in Europe and over here to work with us on the ground at a grassroots level and um, postering leveraging talking to people debating with people helping to bring people around I mean, that makes you feel really good. And it's really, really, really powerful. It's a really, really, really powerful thing to do. I mean, like I said, we didn't always see things happening to us as far as we were concerned, as far as I was concerned anyway. We were fighting for this for our lives. And to always have the backup and physical support of people is great. But to know that there's countries that are looking for a legislative process that makes it easier in a bigger level, in a bigger scheme of things in, within governance of the EU. That's where we, we possibly, well, that's where we have to bring this now at this stage. I mean, if we even dare mention it, and you mentioned in the outset, 
I mean, things that happen, things that we see live happening now in tech is just dystopian to, to, to dystopian. I mean, your mind, you can't even go there. You can't even think about it. It's, it's actually, it's frightening. It's frightening. So we just take everything that we have now, hold on to what we have. Like it's really hard once any of the rights that you have are whittled away. And that's really important that we don't take our eye off. Well, no matter where we're domiciled, where we're living, no matter how good we think we have or how bad we think of it, don't allow them to take away anything. And to, to flag it to, through, or through the systems and through the various institutions to speak on your behalf. I mean, as grassroots activists from Ireland, went to Europe and spoke on Irish women's behalf at the most important places where women met, at the conventions, to say, this is what's happening. This is their reality. You may not know this. So, and I mean, people people listen and people support it and constantly support it, even when it wasn't always fashionable or profitable and we, we mightn't always have looked like we were on the winning side but I mean and and I mean it, and I will say win and I'm not ashamed of saying winning because I lived through the cloud of 83 I saw the alternative and the alternative wasn't good wasn't healthy and it was oppressive and we can't ever advocate that somebody lives in an oppressive society we owe, owe ourselves much better. We owe our sisters much better. Yeah, that's that's kind of my opinion on that. I- Thank you very much, uh, Rhonda, for this uh, extremely enriching uh, contribution. Unfortunately, this brings us already to the end of this podcast, so I can only thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thanks for having me. And yeah, thank you. And what we can gather from this discussion today is that every individual needs to have the right to decide freely and responsibly, without discrimination, without violence, about the number, spacing and timing of their children, and to have the information and means to do so, and the right to attain the highest standards of access to health for everybody. And for this grassroots uh, work is essential. Uh, so thank you very much once again, uh, and once more echoing the words of one of the greatest and inspir- inspirational uh, feminist thinker of, uh, and once more, uh, sorry, I'm going to start this again. Thank you very much, Rhonda, once again for guiding us through this vital subject, echoing the words of one of the greatest and inspirational feminist thinker who is no less than Simone de Beauvoir, who herself wrote that there are two essential conditions to become fully emancipated. The economic independence through equal access to labour and the right to decide about their own bodies. Thank you, Leticia. Thanks for, for, for having having uh, an Irish opinion. Uh, and I, I like to uh, put that into words. Thanks. Leticia, thank you so much. Thanks a million. Thank you for your attention. If you found our conversation interesting, do not hesitate to share it on social media with the hashtag FEPSTalks. More is yet to come. Stay tuned.